Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Do you have what it takes to answer the question of this week's episode? I did, and many others in our program have. And when you do it, then you can have it all. What are we talking about? Three words. Willingness to change. This is not compromise. This is not making a deal. This is not any political argument or stand. This is change. Quantitative, absolute, unforgiving. Because when you are willing to do that, when I gave up completely and was willing to change, great things happened. I'm very beholden to a manager I had many years ago for a piece of advice that I never thought I would keep with me, but I always go back to. So George, if you're running around in your Fox body white anniversary edition GT Mustang and you hear this, thank you. He said to me one day when I was very young, he said, be careful, young man. Okay. He said, because when you are young, you should be narrow of hip and broad of mind. Because when you get old, all too often, we become broad of hip and narrow of mind. It took me many years to understand that statement. And I really do thank him for sharing that because I've always tried to keep an open mind. And when I did, and it came to the time to get to my sobriety, it made all the difference in the world. Let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to say about change. He finally realizes, as he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. But most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and that principle is contempt prior to investigation. See, I knew so many things about spiritual matters when I first got here, that you know that I that were not true. That was hardly I was hardly able to learn anything that was true. I knew everything there was to know about spiritual matters. And remember, I told you when I was eight or nine years old, I said if I ever get big enough, they can't catch me. I'm not going. So when I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous, I had the spiritual understanding of an eight or nine year old boy, which was practically nothing. 
nothing that would do me any good. And my mind had snapped shut against all spiritual concepts, and therefore I couldn't learn. That's why Bill talks about the open mind so much. I need to lay aside all of those things that I thought that I knew and to look at this book and to look at these things with, an, with a fresh open mind so that I might learn some things that would really help me. There seems to be one key word that runs all the way through this appendix too, and that's the word change. Let's see how many times Bill said change and how many different ways he said it on page 569. The first paragraph, he talked about a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Second paragraph, he again mentioned personality changes. But then he said, in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval, an upheaval is to change something. In the third paragraph, in the first sentence, he called them sudden revolutionary changes. To revolutionize something is to change it entirely. Third paragraph, last sentence, he talked about immediate and overwhelming God consciousness. To overwhelm something is to change it. Also, third paragraph, last sentence, he talked about vast change in feeling and outlook. So he's really repeating himself over and over. The key word is change. Fourth paragraph, he talked about first sentence, such transformations. To transform is to change. Fourth paragraph, about the middle of the paragraph, he talked about profound alterations. To alter is to change. So Bill is doing what many, many writers do. They repeat themselves quite often, but usually they find a different word which means basically the same thing. People used to ask Bill about this, and we've known two ladies that worked with and for Bill for years. They both tell us the same thing, that Bill would kind of rear back and smile and say, well... When I took English and writing courses in college, they taught me that to use the same words over and over shows how ignorant you are. So he said, what we really do is just find a different word that means the same thing. So the key here is the word change. You can call it a psychic change. You can call it a personality change. You can call it a spiritual experience. You can call it a spiritual awakening. The whole idea is to change from what we used to believe into something entirely different, a change in attitudes and outlook upon life. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. Spiritual experience sounded awful bad to me until I began <laughs> to realize that we're just talking about a change in the way that I think and the way that I feel. Let's go back to page 25, last paragraph. One little thought about this idea about change, and it was important to me. When I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't like me very well, and I stood in the back room looking down at my feet, and I didn't like who I was, and I wanted to be something different. And I looked around the rooms and the places that I went, and I saw people that I liked, and I liked what they had, and I wanted to be like them. And I tried my best to become like them. But you find I found out over a period of time I couldn't change to become like them. The only change that I can bring about in my life is to change from what I have become to what God intended for me to be all, all the time. That's the only change that I can make. I had become a very resentful, angry, hateful, mean, vindictive person, and God did not make me that way, and I had not always been that way. I had become that as a result of some of my life's experiences. So the change I think they're talking about is to change back to that which God made me 
And that's the only person that I can be is who I am and what I am. And learn to be that and do that. If you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, but we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go into the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. Step one. And the other, to accept spiritual help. Step two. And you're going to see Bill repeating these two alternatives over and over as we go through the book. We got but one or two choices. Stay powerless, continue to drink until we die, or accept spiritual help, one of the two. And one of the catchphrases in AA today is, you better not talk too much about God or you'll run the newcomer off. My sponsor told me, he said, Charlie, you don't need to worry about running a newcomer off talking about God. He said, if you do, whiskey will put him right back in here. He said he has no other place to go, and when he comes back, he'll probably be ready to talk about God. Over on page 26. Again, the book never tells us anything, but what it doesn't explain what it's been doing and back it up. He's now going to tell us where this idea for the vital spiritual experience came from. Remember we said a while ago there was a guy named Roland Hazard that stepped in between Ebby and the judge and had the judge release Ebby in his custody. Then Ebby came to see Bill. Okay, this little story we're going to look at is about Roland Hazard, and we're going to see in this story where this idea of the vital spiritual experience as the solution to alcoholism came from. He said a certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of the celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Jung, who prescribed for him. Though his experience had made him skeptical, he had finished his treatment with unusual confidence. Now, he didn't go to Dr. Jung for a 28-day treatment program. He was with Dr. Jung for a full year. And when he left there, he knew good and well everything was going to be okay. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed that he acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. Roland went over there, and Dr. Jung completely psychoanalyzed Roland. He had the best treatment in the world. He had, he had used up all the American psychologists and psychiatrists, and he went over there to Dr. Jung because he'd heard that he was the best. Roland was desperate to, to find a solution to his problem, and he completely psychoanalyzed him, and he knew with his self-knowledge that he would never have to drink again, so he came back to America, but he got drunk again. And then he decided to go back to the doctor. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Well, why was this? That's the question. Well, he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He would never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. This was a great physician's opinion. That's quite an opinion, come from the best doctor in the world. Man, you're hopeless. You're going to have to hire yourself a bodyguard or put a, be put under lock and key. 
But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Now, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recovered where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, he said, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are a phenomenon. A phenomenon, as you remember, is something we don't understand. Dr. Jung did not understand this. He did not understand the phenomenon of a spiritual experience. But he heard that once in a while people had those. He said they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Change. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side. Change. And a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Change. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. Change. With many individuals, the methods in which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Again, the asterisk. Again, for amplification, see Appendix 2. You cannot have a spiritual awakening and a psychic change if you're not willing to look at yourself and see who and what you are and were and want to be. My self-reflection took me in some very dark places when I reviewed what I had done. I had been a wrecking ball to family and friends. Heck, I don't even think the dog liked me. But I swore that I was going to change, and with the steps, and my sponsor, and my home group, and my big book, change happened. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't miraculous. It took time. I'm still changing today. I'm still making amends, making up for, and trying to show the people that I love and care for every day that I have changed who I was. Sloppy, fall down, mean, angry, drunk. And now I am not like that. I hope that the people I know who know me can see that. Why is this change important? Because... As Joe and Charlie said, if you don't pick up the big book, if you don't get a sponsor, when you don't do the steps, you're just a dry drunk. You're just mean and angry. And everything that you were when you drank, you just don't have the benefits of the spiritual change that comes with this program. I can't change. I'm not going to change. I don't want to change. I'd be giving up. I'd be letting go. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens when you change. You know, change, as I said at the top, is not always compromise. Change is not giving in. Change is not a, a loss in the win-loss of life. Change is what happens when we grow and evolve. And if I'm willing to change, then I can keep evolving. It's when I stick my foot and the line and say, 
no more, I cannot change, I will not do this, that I start having those thoughts, and I start going back to where I was, and I'm thinking, I can probably drink. And that is absolutely not what I want to do today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.